to turn a page uh, in your Bible. It's across the page for me to the first couple verses of Acts chapter 13. We're going to be talking, taking a look at a survey of the church at Antioch this morning. Last week, we looked at Ephesus. Um, since the first of the year, we've been doing some stuff on the church talking about our corporate identity, that we are bride, body, family. Then last week we looked at the church at Ephesus. Today I want to look at the church at Antioch, and I want to begin just by simply reading the information that we have, or at least some of the information that we have about the church at Antioch. So Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 11, starting in verse 19, okay? This is detailing the spread of the gospel out from Jerusalem. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And up to this point, God, understand, this had primarily been a Jewish church, and there wasn't a whole lot of separation between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, this new Christian thing that had been happened, this message of the gospel, the good news, it had kind of, it's almost kind of been considered like kind of an offshoot or a little sect of Judaism, uh, but that is about to change. And so they're speaking the, the good news to nobody except Jews. But verse 20, but there were some of them, unnamed men, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Now the Hellenists were uh, Greeks. They were non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles. Okay? And so they speak the word to the Hellenists also. And what was their message also? Preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of faith, and a, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. This took place in the days of Claudius, who was a Roman emperor. Verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now jump over to chapter 13 in the first couple verses. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, let's pray one more time. Father, Please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Father, please let your spirit right now be hovering over all the darkness that exists in this room in our hearts. And I pray that you would bring life and order and light and beauty and chaos out of darkness through your word and by your spirit. 
this is our hope. This is what you do. This is how you change us. Um, and it's why we come to your word with uh, reverent awe and wonder, looking to the work of your spirit. Please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys have heard of Thomas Edison? Yes? Yeah. What did Thomas Edison invent? Can you tell me? What's, what's the primary thing that he, he invented? The light bulb, right? Yeah, and he's kind of tied in with, with electricity. Uh, so I was reading about him a little bit this past week, uh, mainly DC for the direct current. But how many of you guys have, have heard of Nikola Tesla? Nikola Tesla. Some? Yeah. Most people, many people have heard of Thomas Edison. Um, not as many people have heard of Nikola Tesla. Um, he was a contemporary of Edison uh, and actually worked for Edison for a time. And it's a really cool story if, if you read them because they, um, they became very much competitors. Um, and uh, Nikola Tesla, in fact, were, were Edison had um, kind of invented this direct current, or DC. Um, uh, Nikola Tesla had invented AC, or alternating current. So AC, DC, not the rock band, okay? It's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, but, and, and Nikola Tesla's uh, AC system, alternating current, is actually the one that is still primarily used today and is more prevalent and long-lasting and was a little bit, a little bit better. And uh, I mention all that because Nikola Tesla, he doesn't get as much press, and in history, he's a little bit overlooked in comparison to uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, but his contributions to science, and not just electricity, but um, he was also considered a pioneer in regards to x-ray imaging, radio, lighting, radars, uh, the, he invented the first hydraulic power plant. He was involved in the one that this up at Niagara Falls and all that. But in regards to history, he's somewhat overlooked compared to Thomas Edison. Um, and the reason that I bring him up is because I feel kind of like the church at Antioch is the Nikolai Tesla uh, of church history, is that as you open your New Testament, you will not find uh, any book entitled the Antiochians, as there are the book of Ephesians written to the church at Ephesus, or the book of Corinthians written to the church um, at Corinth. But the church at Antioch, the little bit that we know about them is found primarily here in the book of Acts, but, but as the Lord sovereignly planned this and, and, and worked this out, the church of Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, um, all these different churches that Paul and Barnabas would go on to plant and have the gospel expand, none of them would have ever existed without the church at Antioch. And I'm excited to look at this this morning because there are a couple things that we can learn about the church at Antioch that are so, that are so key and so foundational and marks of this church that need to mark us Guys, this has to mark us as a church. It's something that we need to pursue. It's something that we cannot manufacture, but we pursue it by faith, trusting that the Lord will work these things among us, that we too could have a great impact um, on our world in the day and age in which we live, uh, as did the church, the church at Antioch. And so <clears throat> I just want to walk through the text again that we just read at the end of Acts chapter 11 and also the beginning uh, of Acts chapter 13, and point out a couple of marks of this church at Antioch. And I pray that as we talk about them, again, 
that we would seek to emulate them, but that the Spirit of God would do something in our hearts and cause us, and cause us to pursue this for his honor and glory. The first thing is this. They're all very simple, um, but overlooked many times. Is the church at Antioch consisted of ordinary people who could not stop talking about Jesus. It consisted of ordinary people who could not stop talking about Jesus. As you look there in verse 20, and I kind of pointed this out as we began to read, and again, up until this point, it had primarily just been a Jewish church. That's why people, like, they didn't even realize that they could speak it to Gentiles, because Gentiles didn't have the background of the story of, of redemption and of the Messiah and of his coming and of his promised coming and, and all that. Uh, but some, a group of no-name men, again, verse 20, some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so Cyprus is a little island, island out of the Mediterranean, Cyrene is the region of northern Africa, okay, that had been in Jerusalem, that had received the gospel. They now go to the city of Antioch, which is quite a ways north of the city of Jerusalem, and they preach the gospel. And again, I'm sure they said more than this, but this was summing up their message. What did they preach? The end of verse 20. They preached the Lord Jesus. Jesus was their message. This is what they knew, and verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Where Jesus Christ is proclaimed, where he is lifted up, where he is talked about, where he is on the lips of his people, the hand of the Lord is with those people that are speaking the name of Jesus. And from the very beginning, this is how God Almighty has chosen to build his church through the proclamation of this gospel message, primarily the gospel being good news, being built around the person and work of Jesus Christ, is that we can talk about grace, we can talk about mercy, we can talk about sin, we can talk about the forgiveness of sin. But if we don't talk about Jesus, then we're not talking about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ, folks. He has got to be on our lips. And I want you to jump down here, okay, a couple verses. So this happens. The hand of the Lord is with them. Church in Jerusalem hears about it. They send Barnabas, who's one of their um, kind of representatives and a, and a good man and a leader in the church down there to check it out. He sees that there's great grace upon them, it says. Okay, and then he goes and he finds Saul, um, who, you know, had been killing people but miraculously got saved. He's a teacher, has a teaching gift, so he brings them to Antioch to begin to teach and disciple these folks. But I want you to notice this at the very end of verse 26, that it is in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians, it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Now, almost all commentators agree that this term was probably, uh, when it originated, somewhat of a derogatory term given to disciples of Jesus Christ by those outside the faith, by those who were not believers. Okay, But here's the point. Here's, here, here's the takeaway. Why did they call them Christians? Because, yeah, thank you. Ryan got it. You get bonus points. Because they could not stop talking about Christ. Well, maybe, maybe they just lived it. Maybe they just lived the gospel. Maybe it was just their lifestyle that did this. They had the lifestyle. We'll look at that in a little bit. 
they definitely lived the, lived the gospel. They lived grace. They lived a life of love, as God called them to, as we'll see in a little bit. But here's my point. It wasn't just that. These people had never heard of Jesus. They wouldn't have said, oh man, those people love like Jesus. They'd never heard of Jesus. The reason that they called them Christians is because they could not stop talking about Jesus. Do you hear me? Are you following me? Guys, this is important. Because I hear people all the time say, oh, I just try to live it with my life. I just try to let my light shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That is good. That's great. And I'm not down in that at all. But you have got to talk about him. The gospel is a message. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it is through people that have heard this gospel, proclaimed to them and received it by faith, that are now responsible to in turn speak this gospel back to a lost and dying world. Again, very simple, but I ask you this morning, when is the last time you spoke to somebody who didn't know Jesus? When is the last time you actually had the words Jesus on your lips in the midst of that conversation? See, if we're going to call ourselves Christians in the true historical sense of the word, then it means that we have to be talking about Christ. To say that we're Christian but to not talk about Christ is quite literally a contradiction in terms. We must speak of him. We must proclaim him. Listen to Spurgeon, okay? If you don't believe me, and this is going to sting a little bit, but get mad at Spurgeon, not me, okay? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a, to and a totally silent tongue about him. That man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus to, el to tell another person about him is an imposter. Are you speaking the name of Jesus, guys. This has to mark us as a church. We do call ourselves Christians, and rightfully so, for Christ has done a work in our life, and we love him, and we believe him, but we must speak of him. It, it, do you guys know what the five solas of the Reformation were? The Reformation in the 1500s, Martin Luther nailed these 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, and he completely started, you know, just a firestorm and, and a great reformation within the church. And it was good because the church needed to be reformed because the good news of the gospel had been lost. And the five solas of the, of the, Ref, or the reformation is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Again, sola means singular or, or, or only. And it's those things... That salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ, on the authority of the word of God alone, not a pope, not a man, not another book, uh, or whatever, to the glory of God alone. And if we're not preaching Jesus, 
and that you receive Jesus by grace, through faith, because this book says it, all to the glory of God, then we can say that we're letting our light shine. We can say that we're, just, that we're loving people and that we're serving people, which I am all for, and which the church in Antioch was all for, as we'll see in just a minute. But guys, we cannot be silent. Are you with me? You, you can't. You can't. This is a message that we have to proclaim. Secondly, not only were they just ordinary people, and again, no-name people started this church, I love it, um, who could not stop talking about Jesus. But secondly, and this is so simple, but man, I could just, uh, I don't know, I was thinking this morning, I may have, to, I don't know, I gotta pray about it this week, but I may end up just doing a little series just on this point here. But they were a people who responded in obedience to the leading of the Spirit. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus, and they were people who responded in obedience to the leading of the Spirit. This is so beautiful. So this church is being taught by Barnabas and by Saul. They're discipling folks. People outside of the church are calling them Christians because they can't stop talking about Christ and they're meeting together regularly, and they're hearing this teaching, and they're praying, and they're worshiping God. In verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So some more leaders in the church of Jerusalem, Agabus, a guy we've never heard of before, he comes down, verse 28, and he has a gift of prophecy. And one of them named Agabus stood up, and here's what he did. He foretold, he prophesied by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And then in parentheses, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, says, then this took place. Like, Agabus was right. This wasn't a false prophecy. This took place in the days of Claudius, who was a Roman emperor. And so, Agabus stands up with this kind of word from the Lord. He says, guys, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. Okay? And the church at Antioch, verse 29, they respond to it. It says, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they hear this prophecy, and again, it's not just Agabus making stuff up. It says that he, he foretold this by the Spirit. It's the Spirit through this man, Agabus, giving this prophecy. And they respond to it. It, it changed their lives. Like, so many people sit around in, in so many circles today where prophecy is believed, and, and I want to argue here in a second that we should believe it, because the Bible's real clear on how we're to treat prophecy. Um, but so many times we just want to sit around, people just want to say things, like deep things that they've heard from the Spirit. That's not the point. The point of, of, of prophecy, the point of the, the speaking and the leading of the Holy Spirit is so that we would adjust our lives and obey the leading of the Spirit for the sake of love to other people. Are you following me? And these people heard this word from God through the prophet Agabus, and they say, well, okay, that's great, well, but you know, the Lord hasn't told us this just for no reason. No, we're going to respond to it. We're going to take up an offering, and we're going to bless our brothers and sisters down in this other city where this famine is happening. And we're going to encourage them and love them that way. Now jump over to chapter 13, and you'll see the same type of thing happening. You've got these probably leaders of some sort in the church. They were teachers. They were prophets. Verse 2, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, listen, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then what do they do? 
Then, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them off. Verse, verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And this is the beginning of the first missionary journey. That, guys, the Holy Spirit still speaks. Please hear me. And when we could spend so much time on this because there's been so much abuse and because there's so, been so much counterfeit in the church, especially in America, that is, you, you know, that is propagated this, this prosperity gospel and this false teaching and, and false signs and wonders. But I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is his Holy Spirit. And it's not weird. The Holy Spirit isn't into weird, guys. He's into the supernatural, he's into the powerful, he's into the miraculous, he does do signs and wonders, and he still speaks, but it is always to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. So when you begin to see weird, you can know that the Holy, see there's, there's a difference, right? Are you with me? And we know this. But so many times people do weird stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit, and so you go, oh man, if that's the Spirit, I don't really want anything to do with that. You shouldn't want anything to do with that, but that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks. For, if you look here, and there's more that we could look at, but in this example in the church at Antioch, what does the Holy Spirit lead them to do? He leads them to be generous, to love another group of people outside of themselves, to bless them by taking up this offering, and he leads them towards mission. He leads them to sending out Paul and Barnabas. And literally, every church from here on out in the book of Acts, it all started in Antioch. Because they believed in the leading of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't just say, oh wow, the Spirit said that, neat, that's awesome. Next, they obeyed it. Romans 8. All those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If we could just pause for a second. Guys, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say other than one of, as one of the leaders here at Mercy Hill. But I honestly say it with tears in my eyes. I'm not working something up right now. I want us to be more obedient to the Holy Spirit. I want us to trust in the leading and the reality of the Holy Spirit. That he can speak through an agabus. He can spring a word to us through somebody that he may lay it upon their hearts. Or as I said in, in chapter 13 over there, it just says the Holy Spirit said, how did he say? We don't know. But maybe it was just as simple as like they're in this prayer meeting. Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manan and Saul. And all of a sudden one of them says, you know, I just, guys, I feel like Barnabas and Saul, like God wants to send you out. And all of a sudden, Lucius of Cyrene goes, man, that's funny. I just, I just thought was thinking that same thing. And Barnabas and Paul said, man, we were just getting ready to pray that. It doesn't matter how, it matters that he does speak, and it matters that they obeyed it. And guys, we need more of this among us. I, I was sharing with the, the 
prayer team in the back before the service today. Um, you know, I, before, when we pray back there, I usually in some way kind of pray through the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be talking about on Sunday mornings. And, and I was sharing with them how it seems there, there's been this separation in the church, and, and they all nodded in agreement because most people recognize it, is that it seems like churches are either, you're either a word church or you're a spirit church. You know what I mean? It's like some people, man, you guys preach the word. I have people come all the time and, and uh, man, we like, you just open up the Bible and you just preach through the Bible. You know, we spent two years walking through the book of Luke. And man, I want that to be true of us. I want us to be word people. But that doesn't mean, because it's not necessary to create this false dichotomy, but that doesn't mean that we should not be spirit people as well. It's, it's a false dichotomy. In fact, I was listening to a podcast this past week, and it was so timely. And this guy was quoting somebody else, and I, can't, I forget who it was. But he gave this example. He said, it's just like when you have the unfortunate event of, of there being a divorce in a family. And some kids go with the mom, and some kids go with the dad. Is that for some reason, the enemy has deceived us and, and, and somehow brought a divorce in the church. And we think, and the kids think, that we need to choose between either the Word or the Spirit. Guys, it's both. Please hear me. It's both. And just because there's been weirdness over in some other, or what, like, that doesn't matter. The fact that there is a counterfeit tells me that there's an authentic, right? That's what the enemy does. He's not original at all. He counterfeits everything that God does. And there's no need for a divorce. I want us to be a people that are increasingly growing forever until Jesus takes us home and our faith is lost in sight, that we are growing in our ability to seek and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because guys, when the Holy Spirit speaks and leads us and guides us, and again, in all of that, it's always going to be to lift up Jesus. He can accomplish so much more than we ever could in our own efforts. And if we're not seeking to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit, if we don't believe in the supernatural, then man, we're just playing games. Because this whole kingdom that Jesus Christ came to set up and to proclaim and the good news of it, it's all supernatural. It's all, it's all by the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. And again, I, I don't understand why historically the church has got so hung up on treating every little whim that somebody feels from the Holy Spirit as like authoritative on the same level of Scripture, which is not true, and, or why the, why the ditch on the other side of the road has been, <coughs> you know, that we just don't believe in that anymore. When the Bible tells us really clearly what we're to do with it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. What should we do? But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Are you with me? That's pretty clear. Don't, oops, sorry, Neil. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Don't treat them with contempt. But, what, just blindly receive everything everybody says? No, test everything. How are we going to test everything? By this. 
by the word and hold fast to what is good. Okay? And I pray that even us just talking about this morning and me bringing this up and, you know, as we're looking at God's word, God's word bringing it up. I pray that God would do more of this among us. I want you to know that. And I, I would love for you to pray with me about this for our church, that we would be a church that is marked by both being rooted and grounded in the word, yet also living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And that, oh, please, Jesus. Please let it happen. Lastly, um, not only were they just normal, ordinary people, couldn't stop talking about Jesus, and there were people who responded in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but they were people who had consistent corporate communion with the Lord. Again, very simple. They were people who had consistent corporate communion with the Lord. It means that, what I mean by this is simply part of the rhythm of the life of their church was to spend time together in prayer and in worship and even here and in fasting to seek the face of God just to seek the face of God. Just because they wanted him. Again, in this, this last time when the Holy Spirit speaks in chapter 13 and he sends out and, and he says to set apart for him Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called him and they launch him out into this first intentional missionary journey uh, to plant churches and make disciples throughout the, the known world at, this, at that time. The context of this is that you have these people here, um, these, these leaders, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and, and Saul, these five guys at least. There could have maybe been more. Maybe these are the only guys that are mentioned. But they were, he said this, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now here's what's fascinating about this to me is if you understand what's going on at this time, there's a lot of drama going on down in Jerusalem, okay, which has been the primary hub of the church up until this point in Jerusalem and in Judea. In fact, this is what's in chapter 12. Um, Stephen's been stoned. Uh, Herod has arrested James uh, and had him killed. Now he's arrested Peter and put Peter in prison, and uh, an angel of the Lord comes, and again, the work of the Holy Spirit, he brings Peter out supernaturally, and it's kind of a funny story. You know, the church is praying for him, Lord, please deliver Peter, and the Holy, and God brings him out, and uh, Peter goes and knocks on the door of the house where they're praying, because he knew that they were praying for him, and a little servant girl named Rhoda goes to the, do goes to the door, and she says, who's there? And he's like, Rhoda, it's Peter, it's Peter, and she's, and she's like, oh man, it's Peter. She runs back inside, she doesn't even open the door for him, he's left out there, kind of like, Hello, are you going to let me you going to let me in? And he goes back and says, "Guys, guys, Peter's outside." They're like, "You're crazy, girl." That can't be. And she's like, "No, really." And so Peter continues to knock and eventually they 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 let him in. I say all that to say this, because in Jerusalem there's drama. In Jerusalem, James has been killed, Stephen's been killed, Peter's been arrested. In Jerusalem, there's a famine. But everything's fine in Antioch. What we know about Antioch is there's much grace upon them. They're worshiping the Lord. God is adding to their number. Things are growing. And yet, here's my point. In chapter 13 here, we see that these people, even though there's no drama, even though things aren't difficult, even though there's not trials and tribulations, they are still coming together for a regular time of seeking God. 
My point being this, is that so many times we don't pray, we don't seek the Lord, we don't come together in fasting and in worship and in seeking his face until all the stuff hits the fan. And I want to be clear this morning that if you're in a season of life right now where stuff is just hitting the fan and there's a mess and there's drama, man, the Lord loves you and he will meet you and all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved been reading through the Psalms this past week. Psalm chapter 3, I was telling Neil this morning. Uh, I want him to do this song sometime, but there's this old song, and this is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 3, that I will not be afraid, though ten thousands of people set themselves against me round about. You can tell that's from the King James Version there. Um, but uh, then he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. Man, if if you feel like there's 10,000s of people who have set themselves against you, 10,000 enemies set themselves against you all, the re- all round about this morning, I want you to know that even if you haven't been seeking the Lord, you can call out to him because he is gracious, he is merciful, he will hear you, he will deliver all those who call upon him. But, 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 church, I don't want us to be a people who only call upon the name of the Lord when we need delivered. I want us to be a people who regularly seek his face. Why? Because there's nothing else that we would rather do. This is the church at Antioch. There's no drama there. But these prophets and teachers, they come together. Guys, man, we need to fast. We need to worship. Why? Because we want more of him. Does that... Mark us as a church. Maybe. A little bit. I'm going to shoot straight with you this morning, folks. Okay? I'm going to shoot straight with you. Does that mark us as a church? I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't know. I know that we need more of it. I know that there's some of it. But I know that when we come back to the simplicity and the purity of the gospel and we remember, it's like last week we looked at the church at Ephesus and God told the church in Ephesus to remember their first love, to return to their first love. That when we remember that the only thing that we have is Jesus Christ. I think there should be more seeking. I think there should be more fasting. I think there should be more seeking his face just because we want more of him. We pray every Wednesday morning um, from 5 to 7 a.m., uh, at our little building in Sugar Creek. There's about five people that show up, and it's good. The Lord meets with us every week. Now, I want to be very clear. I want to, there, listen, I'm not here to do a drive-by condemning. I know that many of you, God bless you, are at work by five o'clock, or you've left, or you're getting up, you don't have time. Man, be, please hear me. I get all of that. I also know that there are more people that could be there at 5 a.m. We pray here every Sunday morning 
from 8.30 to 9.30 before the service. Please, stay-at-home moms especially, like I know. <laughs> you know, it, it's to get kids ready, like I get it. You can't do it, like, man, but I know that there's more people that could be here. And listen, I say all that, guys. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to, and hopefully you know me well enough, that I'm here to say this to us, to us, to myself included, out of love. Because, guys, we need more of Jesus. We need more of the power, the manifest power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The last thing that I want for my life and the last thing that I want for your life is to come here to Mercy Hill for the next 20, 30, 40 years and just play church. And the way that you make sure that you're not just playing church is you come together and you cry out to the Lord. That's what it is. You come together in worshiping and in fasting and in prayer, consistent corporate communion with God. Please hear me. Please hear my heart, okay? I'm not, I, I know you have a quiet time. I'm sure, you, you know, you, you pray on your way to work. Like, like, I get all that. Please hear me. Please hear me. All I'm saying is, guys, is that we have no idea the goodness of the Lord that we, could, that we are missing out on if we don't seek his face. I know we can play the game, and you guys know me. I believe in the sovereignty of God, like God is going to work out his plan from beginning to end. He's the alpha and the omega, nothing can stop it. He's building his church, it's a done deal, like it's over. I, you know me, I, I, that's, I totally, I will die on that hill that that is true. And, and I can't perfectly reconcile all these things, but here's what I also know, and, and here, here's the, a legitimate question from the text. What if these guys, these five guys, these prophets and teachers in Antioch, what if they had never come together? in the season of fasting and prayer and worship? Would they have heard the Holy Spirit say, how, again, however he said it, would they have heard him say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them? I don't know. Would God have got it done somehow? Sure, I guess. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's a, you know, theoretical hypothesis. I don't know. My point being, is that God has good stuff in store for us, as he does every church. But make no mistake, our willingness to come together and to seek his face, it matters. It matters. Are you with me? Yes, I feel like I'm saying that a lot this morning. Are you with me? But are you with me? It matters. You know, because here's what we see is that, you know, Paul and... Barnabas says, they're sent out, man, it's, it's painful. I mean, they make it to city number three. I believe they go, to, they go to Cyprus, they go to another city called Antioch and Pisidia, and then they go to uh, Lystra, maybe? Or even there, no, yeah, Iconium, then Lystra, city number four. And man, Paul is, he is stoned and dragged outside the city and left for dead. And so when God speaks something to us, um, Here's the little principle, I think I've shared this with you guys before, that when God moves or he wants to accomplish something, he conceives it in us in moments of intimacy, but it's birthed in pain. Now just think about that with me for a second. 
Think about babies being born, okay? It's conceived in intimacy, but it's birthed in pain. That's how he works. And we need to come together in times of corporate intimacy together with the Lord where he can speak, where the Holy Spirit can say whatever it is that he wants to say. And then it will be birthed, it will be brought out in us through pain, and through effort, and through trial, and through tribulation. But just like, ladies, you having that baby, labor's not fun, but it's worth it, right? And sorry, ladies, sometimes I know for a guy to go there, I just maybe shouldn't, but... Um, and I just wonder this morning, and I want you to wonder with me, what does the Lord want to birth through us? But first, because he's conceived it in us through times of intimate fellowship with him. Worship, you, worship team, you can come up. <coughs> we'll begin to close. You know, all that to say, guys, if I could, before I wrap up here, don't forget that part of the good news of the gospel, yeah, is forgiveness of sins, that we're saved from the wrath of God, that we're his enemies, but he makes us his children. But man, so much of the good news, too, is that Almighty God, the most glorious being in all of the universe, who has always existed, never had a beginning, never had an end, put each star in the heavens, called each one by name, he wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you and with us. And there is just no greater joy. There's no greater joy. So as we close this morning, I, I just want to ask a couple questions. Number one is, when was the last time that you mentioned Jesus to somebody that you know didn't know Jesus? Um, again, one of the things that marked these people is they didn't know a whole lot. They didn't know the whole Old Testament story. But they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they preached the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And he saved people. And it was because they spoke this message. They shared this good news. Secondly, how dependent are you on a daily basis for the Holy Spirit? And again, you say, well, man, I'm dependent. Well, I agree. Like, there's a sense. Like, we're all dependent. It's just a matter of whether or not we acknowledge it or not. So maybe I should change it. How, how desperate are you? for the Holy Spirit? How desperate are you for the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? So many this morning, I'm sure, your hearts are dry and they're weary and maybe even a little bit bitter and frustrated. And I just wanna say that if that's where you find yourself, here's what I know. I know that you haven't been drinking fully of Jesus because he always satisfies. Does he allow trials? Does he allow tribulations? Does he allow difficulties? Yes, absolutely. But even in the end, out of those, it drives us to go down deeper. You know, in a couple months, you know, it happens almost every summer where the grass, you know, we get a heat wave and there's no rain for a while and the grass begins to turn brown. I don't know if you know this or not, but when that happens, the roots of the grass go down deeper and deeper and deeper looking for water. And then when you finally have that rain, man, that grass turns as green as it's ever been. And 
I just want to remind you and invite you this morning that if you're just dry, if you're weary, if you're bitter and you're tired, just keep crying out to God. And that time of refreshing, it's going, it's going to come. Um, and lastly, along with that, I would just ask, what does it look like in your life, in your context, your job, your family, your whatever you got going on, what does it look like for you to make room to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life? When do you do that? Do you have a group of people that you regularly call out to the Lord together with? Do you do it even by yourself at all? What does it look like to make room for Him? Um, and make room for Him. <laughs> drop whatever you got to drop. Get rid of whatever you got to get rid of to set aside consistent corporate communion and even personal communion with the Lord. Here's what I know, guys, is that as we unashamedly proclaim Jesus, we consistently um, seek the Lord's face and not just His hand, and we obediently follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, is that not just in the church of Antioch, but throughout history, throughout church history, where, those, where there's a group of people that are doing those things, God has been pleased to show up in power and give those people the desire of their hearts, which is more of himself, more of him. Guys, he's the prize. He's the treasure. Jesus Christ is not a magic genie, and the good news of the gospel is not that if you believe in him, then you get wealthy. If you believe in him, then everything gets easy. If you believe in him, then everything's always going to be all right. It'll be a life of ease. No, no, no. The good news of the gospel is that when you believe in him, you get him. Jesus, I just, uh, I thank you for your word this morning. Um, and Father, I, I've been humbled this week. Lord, I've been stirred. Father, I want to, um, not just for show, Lord, you know my heart. But in all sincerity, Father, I want to repent for not seeking your face more and for not calling us as a church to seek your face more. Father, I want, to, I want us to walk in the fullness of all that your Holy Spirit has for us. Oh, please, Lord Jesus, please. Please, God. Give us hearts that are willing, even right now, this morning, in this moment, to turn to you and to be refreshed by you. Lord, I pray for husbands and dads this morning that we, oh, Father, please help us. Please teach us to lead our wives, to lead our kids in seeking your face, Lord. Lord, please let our kids, you know, Lord, the kids that are upstairs in the Sunday school rooms right now, the kids that are in this service, Lord Jesus, please, I pray that our kids would hear, would learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Please, Lord. Jesus, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Please send your Holy Spirit among us in power. Please cause us to seek you. Cause us to seek you. And forgive us where we have not, Lord. We love you and we thank you 
We can come to you this morning because of your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me if you're helping serve communion. Please come. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that we take communion here every week. We don't believe that by taking these physical elements that it by any means will save you, but what they represent does save you. By putting your faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he paid the penalty that you could not pay for your sins. Um, And uh, if you know Jesus this morning, you don't have to be a member here at Mercy Hill. We don't own communion. Uh, If you know Jesus, this is for you, and we would invite you to come. If you don't know Jesus... You can come partake of this stuff, but I just want to be clear, it won't save you. Only what it represents saves you, and it's by putting your faith and trust in that that saves you. You are justified by grace alone, again, through faith alone. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood in the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. And we ask that you would help us to come to you in faith, wanting the fullness of the life that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.